This is Chris Stevenson, and this is a Legend of the Five Rings podcast. With me today are Trevor Valentine. Show enough. Jay Earl. Hey. Justin Purdy. I'm back. And Jonathan Freeman. And I'm back as well. Today we're going to be talking about the fourth edition of the Legend of the Five Rings RPG. We'll be talking about what's going on at Gen Con, but first, in the Imperial Gift Part 3. Alright, so now everybody knows that the Imperial Gift Part 3 is going to be legal for Gen Con. We have all seen the PDF of it now because the physical cards aren't out yet, but they'll be handed out at Gen Con to the competitors. So we'd like to, to talk about that today. Of course, as we've said the last two times, this Imperial Gift Part 3 is the third part of the free expansion that Alderac is, is handing out. I think they did really well with the Imperial Gift Part 2 last year at Gen Con when that was, that was being handed out like hotcakes at the booth. Uh, do you guys think that the third part of Imperial Gift uh, holds up as well as the second part? As what? Specifically, is the set overall or the concept? Would, yeah. would, would you like the cards as much? No, no. Archie <laughs> yeah. uh, too just had a bunch, especially for honor to my mind, had a bunch of really strong cards that you just easily slot into decks. Whereas this has some good cards, but nothing that I'm like, oh, every honor deck should be playing well defended border. This doesn't have a well defended border or equivalent. No. Although it does boost a lot of specific deck types, like Sohei's Duty. Every monk player is going to be playing three copies of that card. Maybe, maybe not. Really? Remember, you have to have temples. It's a good effect, but you have to have a temple out to use it, and your standard monk deck starts wincing after it gets past four temples, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Now, I, I'm inclined to think that there's something you can fit in that's that's worth it, but... Once you get past Oyo Sato worrying about Dishonor, the other temples are not exciting. For Doom Contentions, I'd make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, like I said, I, I think some some claims didn't get that much. There isn't a bunch of really amazing stuff. I kind of like that there isn't a bunch of really amazing stuff. It's only 44 cards. Yeah. If there's a bunch of really amazing stuff in 44 cards, it's probably pushing stuff uh, a little too much. Uh, but if we look at the, the, the personalities is where we first see one of the the other aspects of Imperial Gift Part 3 and that it's it's supposed to be this, this top-down design set and that for each of these cards they took existing artwork, some of which is very recognizable, some of which we haven't seen as much, and went and made a card based around that, that artwork, and for some of those, like I said, it's really recognizable, like old RPG supplements, right. and that includes one of the personalities for all of the clans, except for Spider, who of course didn't exist when they were uh, making the Secrets of Books, which is where they're from, uh, and so the you know the first personality in set is one of the crab that's like that, but I, I'm not really impressed with either of the crab personalities in, in the set. The scout isn't terrible, or the Shigenja commander isn't terrible, but I'm not so fun of the unique. Yeah, I, attaching followers from your discard pile is a lot scarier than attaching followers from your hand. Yeah, it's still the element of surprise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the crane, the cranes seem to do better though. Uh, the Shigenja courtier seems really nice to me. Oh yeah, I free yeah. honor every turn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Spider cycle, gain an honor. 
Yeah, Since my home. The Beatles no, no, no. is really strong too. Yeah. Do you have you been have you put her into that Sea Watch Castle deck you were? The, the unique, yes, the duelist with? doesn't fit in my deck. Because it only has one keyword I use, not two. And the deck is really crowded already. Okay. Uh I think Dragon made out reasonably well in this. Uh Miramoto Miyami, the Kensai, seems like she could pretty easily find a slot in Kensai decks, although when I was looking over the cards again for this, I think that may be a testament as much to the general weakness of Kensai personalities as it is to how great she is, because yeah. a, a battle ability that straightens yeah. a personality... Well, a battle yeah. it does do the whole unit, but I mean a battle ability that straightens a unit that requires you to bow something and that doesn't work when bowed isn't really setting the world on fire. She's no. bland, but she, she fits that deck, so it works. Yeah. Uh, the other dragon personality I'll, I'll use to, to talk about something that I found a little disappointing about uh, IG3, and that's uh, Tomori uh, Ochimo. And I, I mentioned earlier, this is supposed to be a top-down design where they take the art and then kind of made a card around the art. And obviously you still have to fit that into the design constraints of a card, but the guy from the cover of Secrets of the Dragon is a tattooed monk. <laughs> I, I asked about this, on, and, and Fred Wan mentioned that design the design team wanted Dragon to have another Shugenja. And I'm fine with Dragon having another Shugenja, but why couldn't that guy have been slotted in to... To Empire War or slotted into to Plague War. It just to me doesn't fit with the art at all and I really liked the concept of the top-down design from the artwork and it doesn't jive for all of these cards and maybe just because I'm a dragon player and I pay more attention to the dragon art, that's one that, that stands out uh, to me as an example of that. I mean, what did you guys think about how the, the artwork that was used in the set and how well that synced up with with the cards. Well, the Manus got almost the same thing with uh, Yoritomo Kakeko, who's pretty much Kamiko if you look at the art. <laughs> yeah, that is. So. Well, the unicorn guy, he could be anything. I mean, you're, he's not shown on a horse, and he's... Yeah, that's why he doesn't have one. I was going to say, he's, he's functionally not on a horse. Really? Come on, guys. Marabu stole his horse, too. Yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, just the, the close-up of a face... Your guy, okay, he's obviously a tattooed monk. My guy, he could be anything. Yeah, there's a good number where it's hard to be. It's like, one, okay, that's a ninja. That's yeah. a, I know some of the Scorpion players were complaining about their, their unique, oh, why is, why is she a Kensai? Shouldn't she be a magistrate? But I think that's more of a, we want you to stop making Kensai because they haven't been any good so far. <laughs> uh, See, and, yeah. I, I like Scorpion Kensai. I, they're the same boat as all can say like we've gone over before but I think they're going to be strong yeah I, uh, ho hopefully hopefully we'll see a set where the Kensai you know really hit their their stride I think that there's a lot of across the board improvements that they could get improvements in personalities and in weapons and in in actions I don't think that there's just one piece of that I think all of them have to be come in but uh, we've kind of, like you said, Trevor. We've kind of talked about that before. Uh, I mean, were there any of the other clan aligned personalities that stood out as being particularly good or 
particularly not good. I know you weren't excited about your, your Mantis that much, Trevor. The, the Thunder one's playable, but the Unique is nothing special. And the Thunder one's only playable because he's replacing the, the Ronin Shigenshi in my deck, uh, Karasu, or... And I was, I mean, just the fact that my unique guy, the Unicorn Clan d- does not say cavalry. I mean, the, the, unfortunately, doesn't. unfortunately, those traits are not completely interchangeable. Although they, you know, isn't that like uh, undead is automatically non-human? Yeah, isn't yeah Unicorn Clan automatically, automatically cavalry. cavalry. Seems that way. You, you, you know, now, Jay, that most almost well, no, all of the undead are non-human. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, I, I don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> but uh, Fair Sh- enough. Shishiro Nishu is obviously the best personality in the set. Oh yeah. Free is the right price for anything. Free Ninja. Free is good. Free Ninja. Uh, Somebody who is, I think we're mentioning a little bit more, is the, the Unicorn Clan's other personality, Yuchi Kwan, because he's odd in that I think a lot of times you, you look at a lot of people would look at him and think, oh, that lets you assign your guy as some sort of super cavalry, which you can do, but it also is a very limited sort of harpoon because mm-hmm. it lets you assign your opponent's personalities. But I he's mostly good at harpooning someone who your opponent doesn't want to show up the battlefield at all because you can assign your opponent's personality but you still can't assign a personality who has already been assigned. So if you right. use Iuchi Kwan on uh, if you use him and then you assign there you know, and your opponent's just already assigned all of their infantry somewhere else you, you can't, can't drag somebody Somebody in, or 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 drag, or you know, or push somebody away if yeah. you wanted to try to split their army. He's not as versatile as, as some of the lion harpoon that we've seen do. You also can't drag like and bad people with him, right? No, yeah. they have to it's, be unbound. It's correct because you can't assign somebody. So all bad. those annoying scorpion and crane courtiers are just going to they're going to be bound anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's been some talk about one of the two Ronin, uh, Troy. I don't think anybody. Thinks that the seasoned Ronin is sounds that delicious. <laughs> Not unless they get clan holding, but mm. yeah. But the I mean, Troy I think is has more of an impact because he he is cheap and he does give anybody who wants it access to uh, a decently stated duelist. I mean, two three for a clan holding. Sort of five is. I mean, it's, I'd I'd pay that for a duelist in my clan. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I I have the option of paying more to gain honor off him, which you know with Troy. So, uh, Troy seems like somebody who could make it into random decks that want to to increase their duelist count. I mean, obviously, United can can use him. I don't know if United is good enough anymore to accomplish. Anything big on the tournament scene, but I mean, it's at least an option. Yeah, uh, we've talked almost all almost all about the the dynasty side cards. Uh, what in the the fate cards did you guys like? Deny the horde. Yeah, yeah. One gold choke a guy. Not bad. I mean, it's it's limited to samurais or berserkers, but if you're playing. Crab, Manus, Unicorn, Lion, etc. Although Lion's usually not going to be outnumbered. I mean, they're going to have the... Yeah, if they're outnumbered, they're in serious trouble. Yeah, exactly. But anything that relies on big units, Unicorn, Crab, Manus, I'm thinking, are just going to eat this card up. Or or just anyone that defends with one personality. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then there's that. People defend? (laughs) What? You can if you have one... (laughs) 
bully someone. Yes. Now it is it is your opponent's choice, and you really want it to be an early action because you get fur- if you actually get further into a battle and you you pop this, your opponent's going to be blowing up somebody who's bowed or right. somebody who's game of sincerity or somebody who's Low zeroed out or something. Yeah. Uh, but and it. It costs gold, but definitely still an impact card. Anytime you have the possibility of being like, oh, you, you attacked with two guys, each of whom has a follower on them, well, I guess you can kill off whichever. Right. Unit anytime you, want. you have a card that can kill no matter what, mm-hmm. regardless of attachments, force, chi, anything, that's going to be a good card. Yes, you're you're limited to the worst person at the battle. But for some decks, even the worst person at the battle is a pretty good target to be killing. But it still can't kill Kuan. No, Kuan yeah. likes this card. He doesn't. He doesn't get affected by this well, card. He, he goes, "Hey, I'm by myself. You get rid of one of your Kuan units." Kuan probably, yeah. Kuan, Kuan probably isn't outnumbering you, and if he is, you're really screwed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> John mentioned earlier Sohei's duty, the monk intentions. Is pretty pretty good and like and includes the uh, the artwork off of the cover of Way of the Dragon, which I really like seeing. And I know we really liked seeing the artwork on Shadowed Words, which is from the cover of Way of the Scorpion. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm jealous. Well, not, I want Way sorry. of the Phoenix. That was great art. But. Well, not to mention uh, on the card we just mentioned, Deny the Horde. There's the the crab, the Way of the Crab yeah. cover. But oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It is. Opportunistic advantage. I, 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 Trevor and I were having a little bit of a discussion about this before we started recording. I actually think it's a decent card. For example, I go in with you know a, 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 a Pudge commander and, and my four force commander guy who has a four force follower, and somehow you get in front of me. My little commander Pud can push the big guy over to another uh, province to be able to to take it. Or better yet, uh, it happened to me a lot today. In the Commander's Followers deck, uh, I attack. I go after this province. You outer walls that province. Okay, I'll push my biggest unit over to the next province and uh, bounce off the one you just outer walls. It's definitely... It has potential, but I still rather play... Uh, no, uh, unwavering? Yeah, unwavering, yeah. I was flanking out. Uh, <laughs> unwavering's good, but that but two this card has Casada on it, so... Yes, this card does have Casada. And I don't play Crab. Yeah. It's it, but, he doesn't care. And, and it's something that we were, again, that like you mentioned, John, that we were talking about earlier, is that there are four clans that have commanders, and it seems like the, the two of those clans that have made something like commander-specific decks are the ones that would get the least use out of this. Right. Unicorn often is assigning unopposed anyway, if mm-hmm. you know, things are going as to plan. And Mantis has the ability to just have... Three naval commanders, each with, an, each with an attachment on them, and you're just assigning separately anyway because every single one of them has a built-in sneak attack. Uh, whereas the clans that seem like they could make the most out of a, a straightforward opportunistic advance play, which would just be, I have two guys, each of them has a follower, each of them is big enough to take a province, I'm going to assign them together to prevent, you know, to, to try to dissuade you from defending, and then I just opportunistic advance one over to this leaves the province, but the two clans that would most easily use that are Lion and Crab, because they don't have the you know naval cavalry tricks, except nobody plays Crab or Lion commander decks yeah, these right. days. So, uh, Shattered Stone, Kata, is another card in here. I think will definitely get played with 
between Sohei's duty and Shattered Stone Kata and the Tamori, that I mean is actually a couple playsets worth of cards that could go into the Dragon Monk deck that you know I, that we thought was a pretty solid tournament deck anyway. So they seem to be that seems to be one of the decks that won off of off of IG three. Yeah, they got all sorts of toys in this one. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I think I don't know if it's the last one worth mentioning, but the, the last one that I want to say something about is the Waken Blade is actually a pretty good weapon. Uh, oh, the mini Yarajutsu? Yeah, yeah. Destroy this, destroy something with lower force than this personality's force. Uh, I, I know something we had said before was, oh, weapons aren't aren't quite good enough, and this is definitely a playable weapon, although I don't mm-hmm. know how much it plays into the weaknesses of Kensai because... Kensai usually want their weapons staying around, right. bowing for abilities and such, and this one you're just blowing it up. But it is a kill action, so... But, yeah, no, yeah. what you're, <laughs> you know, uh, you're... It's good, and it's worth playing, I just don't know how much it's... Yeah, yeah. yeah I wouldn't see that in a Kensai deck, I'd see that in another deck, like, I don't know, maybe Crab or Unicorn, or somebody who, they want to make their deck about killing everything in the battle. And you already have a naturally and, high force. Right, you have a naturally high force, and you kind of need one more way to kill something in the battle, unlike Mantis, who has... Everything they need already. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you you want more? Give you more? You, n- naval bow guy? Not not no, good enough to even be worth considering. Well, she's bow any card, but it's yeah, it's not good enough for me. Uh, Succumb to vice. Yeah, drunken killer. It, it's Woo. another card people talk a lot about. I don't think it's worth the deck investment, but it is a many hired killer. So yeah, I mean anything that that's going to play off of those socket cards just. The Saki deck isn't there yet. I played around yeah, with it for a while, I right played, after Path came out. Yeah, I was playing the Saki deck in in one of the Kote, and you honestly don't have enough Saki cards right now that are making tokens to guarantee that you can play cards that trigger off of the Saki tokens. Right. Subo can't do it alone. No. Yeah. Ooh, speaking I'd of which, an idea that you had right before the, the last podcast that I was here uh, mm-hmm. for printing tokens... Um, oh, yeah. Wazzy I would, Saki tokens. I would love what, it yeah. if AG is making these tokens, which is great. I love the tokens. But I've got enough uh, cavalry tokens. I've got enough zombie tokens. Give me a poison token. Give me a Saki token. Give me a fire token. Well, those are a little bit different than what they've printed so far. Because yeah, they're I think not everything hard. that they've printed so far is a card. And I think that there could be an issue if they printed a token card. Yeah, the UO, but, yeah, yeah, but that because that's not actually a card. You'd have to Cause not make it in some way very a... distinctive. Because you have we're giving you a card, but it's not really a card. Now, something that they could make a token for is Kazawaru, who rips off your arm and yes. beats you to death with it. <laughs> yes. that would be great. There, there, there should definitely be an improvised weapon token for him, but and in, a disarmed token for your in, 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 well, yeah, and that would just be a and that would be a, you know the maimed token. But but in the meantime, I do encourage everyone who who used to play the uh, decipher Star Wars game to get pull out an old copy of Disarmed. Yes, and use that <laughs> with your Kazuwara because that well, would provide use you that with for the maimed token and then use Luke's hand for his. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and poor Trevor, having been subjected to a Star Trek reference at the top of the podcast, is now having to listen to Star Wars. Uh, there's I, another Star Wars coming. I'll, I'll just preface that already. I can't win. Yeah, you'll have to settle for winning, Kote. Yeah. yeah. Poor, poor, poor Trevor. Aww. Okay, that's it for our discussion of Imperial Gift Part 3. We'll be back to you after a break. 
wanted to jump in here with a quick update on Yuchi Kwan. We talked in the segment you just listened to about how you could use him to harpoon some of your opponent's personalities. Uh, they actually changed the rules, so that doesn't work anymore. This is the Strange Assembly News Desk for July 17, 2010. The Palace of the Breaking Dawn has been declared legal for the rest of Celestial after the two Ronin Challenge threats were resolved on the Kote Map game. A Mega Game Attendance Contest has been announced. The attendance for each clan will be added together at all of the storyline events for the rest of the year, and points will be awarded based on the clans who have the most attendance. The details of the Gen Con storylines uh, events have been released. The final plague for the Second Chance event and the Wrath of the God Beast for the main event. The details of those are available on L5R.com and we'll be talking about them later in the podcast. It has also been announced that the special Gen Con honor event will be for Saturday night. A performance presentation contest about how each clan would cure the plague. Also included that in that announcement was a reference to clan councils a very popular event at prior Gen Cons that seem to be making a comeback this year. There have been two tournaments recently, the Amethyst Championships, which were won by Petros Melitakos, I'm sorry, with Unicorn, who kept the glory points, and the charity event was won by the Unicorn, with the primary do donation being provided by Harris Ciozos. There was also a Winner's Choice event, which was won by Kevin Christopher playing Dragon, who donated his points to the Empire. There have been four stories recently. One of them was the conclusion of the State of the Empire weekly fictions for the Kote map. The second one was A Moment's Hesitation by Lucas Twyman, which was published on July 3, 2010. Uh, this is the story of the last day of Bayushi Paneki's life. You all kind of know what's going to happen. It's really, really good. Just go read it. The other two fictions were Unleashed Part 1 and Part 2. Uh, part 1 was by Sean Carmen on July 9. Part 2 was by Rusty Prisky on July 16th. A Rakshasha, a Yodatai, and a Senpet walked into a bar, I mean Shirokuni, and discussed the god Kalima's growing anger with the resistance being presented by the Rokugani forces. They discuss how Kalima is going to unleash the god beast on Rokugan, this ultimate weapon on the Scorpion lands. The Senpet Kethtet also informs the Rakshasha commander of Kalima's forces that information has been discovered about another Rakshasha. In Phoenix lands, the former master of the void Shiba Ningen vanishes, and Isawa Kimi, the current master of the void, has a vision of Kalima killing the Ivory Kingdom's gods and creating the god beast. Back in Scorpion lands, Hida Kahei, Utaku Jasu, Bayushi Kabara, and Akoto Kitaka fight the destroyers, but note that they have not been pressing the advantage. Later, however, they sight the god beast on the horizon who begins marching towards them. The new Scorpion. Uh, ruler, it's not specified whether or not she's a regent or the actual clan champion, Bayushi Miyako, 
directs that the Scorpion-led forces are to pull back away from closed Pincher City to try to draw the God Beast, but that tactic fails, and then Miyoko orders the city evacuated, at which point the God Beast lays it waste. In the Mega Game, the Dragon are still in a solid victory in glory, with Crab, Lion, Mantis, Phoenix, and Unicorn in costly victory, Crane, Spider, and the Empire in failure, and the Scorpion in total failure. On the honor side of things, Dragon, Mantis, Phoenix, Unicorn, and the Empire are in costly victory. Crab, Crane, Scorpion, and Spider are in failure, and Lion are still in total failure in honor, because apparently there's more to being honorable than wiping out a minor clan for looking at you funny 300 years ago. In the donation contests, the Lion lead the glory donation contest for an Imperial unit, followed by the Dragon and the Crab, and then Crane maintain their current lead over the Spiner in the race to foster an Imperial heir. That's the Strange Assembly news desk for today. Up next is our discussion of the fourth edition of the Legend of the Five Rings RPG. Well, the fourth edition of the Legend of the Fives role-playing game came out about a month ago, and I think we've finally gotten our copies within the last couple of weeks, so it seemed like a good time for the first non-CCG segment here on Strange Assembly. And I, I think that I would speak for everyone here that our first impression of the book is that it is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's definitely a good-looking book. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been showing this off to people of just just flip through this, look at how pretty it is. I mean, I mean if, if you haven't seen it, there's probably about two or three dozen very simplistic, looks like, water paintings. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like Japanese prints. For every page. Stuck in, yes. They go along the borders. The, the, yeah, there's there's card artwork and other other artwork interspersed within the text in a way that, that flows really well. There's some really nice double uh, page, full-color pictures. You've got the great layout with the sort of blood splatter effects around the, the some of the sidebars. Uh, I, I think that the layout in this was done by Edge. Edge. I don't know if it's Edge Studios, Edge Entertainment. I think the same people who did the, the layout for the Celestial Edition cards. And they just did a really, really good job. I, Jay just opened it up to... <laughs> The, the, the page that's yeah the page that's about the the great clans and yeah it's just this great great Chagatai image. But I also like that there there's some amount of uh, reflection of the art to the text going on. Like uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but when I was reading that page next to Chagatai, it makes a joke at his expense. <laughs> uh, give me a minute and I'll find no, it again. <laughs> he made a joke at my expense. Let's go, Daisy. No, I mean here's a, <laughs> here's a huge. Picture of Noni just Daku. splashed, Daku. Daku splashed out across two pages, splash, yeah. and it's just completely blown up. This nice piece of art. Oh yeah, the next next to Chagatai says, in reality, of course, each clan commands considerable military, economic, and political power, enough to overthrow the empire, and only the power of the other clans keep them in check. So relevant reference. Yeah. Uh, now, if you have played the RPG before, which I, I don't know how many of the 
how much of a crossover there is between the CCG and the RPG players. I, I think that 4th edition L5R, unlike the 4th edition of some other role-playing games, has <laughs> left the... I mean, it really it does feel like the same games, and I, and I think that it, it is pretty fair to say that the 4th edition of the L5R RPG is... It's like the third edition, except basically just better. Yeah, it's completely yeah. Yeah, they've cut out all of the insanity that you can do in third edition. Uh, they've they've also cut out a lot of the completely worthless stuff too, which is nice. That yeah, I mean, I mean the, the the I think Kata and Kiho are streamlined. Yeah. There are no longer just there are no longer going to be piles and piles of basic and advanced schools. It's mostly going to be paths. They do paths differently. Shugenja paths are no longer silly, yeah. where like you're the object of the game is just to take every single possible path you Shugenja can get. The the advantages, there used to be a number of advantages that were just really, really bizarrely strong. costed or just yeah. really overpowered, and that has generally been toned down. The schools are not quite as over the top. Things have been tightened up mechanically. The, the combat, they've introduced things like Stances and conditions like fatigued and, and right. The, the combat's no longer nearly as confusing since yeah. it's not this school does this to you in this way, which is completely different from this other thing that should be exactly the same, but they're not. Now, this school blinds you, that school blinds you, same mechanic. And I don't remember what exactly is in the old book, but there's just expanded segments on a bunch of clan stuff. There's tons and tons of stuff about the spider clan, which I think was just kind of, you know, touched on. Well, I think they, they dropped the spider clan into 3rd edition revised okay. with yeah. all those families. I just don't think any of us ever bought 3rd edition revised. Yeah. I know yeah. I right, I was yeah. at I was at Gen Con when 3rd edition revised came out, and sorry guys, I... I Picked it up and looked at it at the booth at Gen Con, and I got Burning Sands instead. Buy it. I did buy Burning. I, I mean, I bought other stuff there, but I, I did not buy Third Edition Revised. I did not buy Fourth Edition. I definitely yeah. Don't did. skip this one. I, I think it's <laughs> also on the Spider Clan. I'm really glad as a GM that the Spider Clan is in the advanced school, so that when my players are like, I don't want to play a spider. No. Yeah, <laughs> there, there are a number. A lot of the core setting. And core mechanics are still the same sort of thing, but there has been an effort made with this edition to open that up. It's the the you know all the schools and all where all the families are and what the clans are are mostly just the current timeline, but it always includes references to oh you know the you 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 would have a, a you could have a a minor clan mantis it you know that the Agasha had left the dragon. It's even got, for some of the families, it has a Mantis clan version of the family, and then it's got a different version of the family for for a minor clan that I think in the case of the Katsuni actually has a different trait. Yeah, they have different stats. Uh, That's there, yeah. And the the timeline has been separated to some extent, although I hope they do continue to put out... uh, Current supplements. Well, I I always like the the once per arc or once every other arc when they have, you know, the four wins or, or hidden emperor where you get to... Have that kind of storyline yeah. summary I- I- into there. Did uh, an explanation of what actually happened that arc, where when you're, when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to keep track of everything to have the nice summary. Yeah, but the, the like I said, the, the, the 
the, the, the combat has has been tightened up. It's still it's still L5R combat, although they one of the explicit options that they have for the, the GM, I, like I mentioned, they've got some sort of option rules. Jay mentioned the Spider Clan are in there. But they they have they switched first they, they switched it so the first your uh, your bruised health level is oh, the one that has lots of wounds so you don't get uh, you don't get incapacitated just from any kind of hit. But they yeah. also explicitly have in there Here's the option where a pillow will knock you out. And to push. have well, to have more. Well, no, the default is is the yeah. two wound or two times earth. But you do get the. I mean, they do explicitly put in there the option that'll be more for that. And I, I, I for one at least, always thought it would be nicer if it was a little less lethal. And so that yeah. I think makes or, it at least to me makes it more likely that GMs might try that out. Well, it's it's the, it's the same amount of lethality. It's that where before it was two hits dead, one hit you're worthless. Now it's Two hits dead, one hit. You're still well, that, helping out. That that's the standard rules, but then they also have the option of just you have more yeah, wounds per right. per each level, so that you just stick. I mean, in which case you just can take, take more shots and have more of a back and forth and less of a focus on. I just get this one killer blow off on you, and that's one and of the things done. when I talk about people who you know kind of know this system. You know, maybe I haven't played in it, but. Vaguely know it. That's the one thing that always seems to stand out to people is it's really lethal, die really fast, and this ridiculous death spiral where one hit and you're just kind of limping around pointlessly from that point on. Yeah, and like I said, we, we, we talked about earlier, they've, they've tightened up the combat, they've tightened up the conditions, but this is definitely, as they explicitly say in the book, this is not making your RPG a tactical miniatures game. No. Uh, no. And, and, I, and, and I think that's you can tell that in a text. Everything is very evocative and very flavorful, but the combat is still relatively loose. I think it still requires a good level of, of GM's discretion. There are some of the really obvious, really abusive things that you could do uh, or aren't here anymore. You can't have a you know command group of Shiba Bushi spending 12 <laughs> void on every single roll and, and silliness like that. But there are still some things that... You can no longer spec into three different classes to get extra attacks, so you're making four attacks in a round. Yeah, well, if you're a Miramoto or a Moto, you can still eventually get four attacks in a round, mm-hmm. but it, it takes longer to get up there. Extra attacks are harder. Extra attacks, we all know, were a, a big thing that they were right. focusing on. Uh, I know the... Of course, since I'm a dragon player, you know, the Miramoto especially got a lot of attention. Is People in 3rd edition felt that it was really overpowered because it got, you know, people called it the Miramoto Blender because it started hacking you to pieces with extra attacks at rank 2. Now nobody gets extra attacks until inside rank 3. Uh, I think the Miramoto gets that at 3rd and then has the possibility of getting another one at 5th and then everybody can make, a, make raises for one extra attack. But... We also, one of us here at the table, Trevor, does have the the foil-stamped Leatherette CE15 one, and I think they still have those on the AEG website. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. But, uh, I mean, even the the normal one is very pretty, really yeah. nice looking, yeah. although it is nice to see that CE15 logo on bigger deals. I, I hadn't realized that one was a sword. Yeah. Yeah, that's a sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although it still looks almost like a seven to me. Yeah. I like the clamon on the sides. Nice little touch. Yeah. Yeah. It's real shiny and luxurious. Yeah. Yeah. The AG logo also looks really nice in the gold shiny (laughs) with red shiny. 
Mm-hmm. That little red foil thing. Yeah. Even if you are not the bling bling mantis, it's still going to be in shiny gold. Gold <laughs> is their color. <laughs> I mean, I think as for the the details of the the RPG, it's a little hard to go into what the all, all the exact mechanics are. But you know, I would try to to pick it up if you haven't played it before. Probably somebody in your yeah. CCG play group who has it. Uh, if you like RPGs and you like L5R, uh, I think it would be a really good thing to to give it a try. And they also put the the free module online, the free RPG Day module. It's a nice. Oh yeah, that's. Too. Um, yeah, I would. I mentioned that in the news desk a few things, but I I forgot about that. Yeah, you can still go on L5R.com and get the free RPG Day module and look at that. They've got other things. They've got the table of contents and. I don't think they have an index online, but that's another improvement that there's yeah, a real there's a real index in this book. Uh, something that was not, if I recall correctly, was not that great in, in third in third edition. But there's a real index in here, and anybody who has been RPGing knows how helpful it is to have a real index, real index, and a real glossary in the back of the book. So, and there's just so many games that I've played that. I mean, you stick with old versions of the system and you play around with, you know, old stuff. This is just... I mean, there's no reason to play anything but this. If you're interested in the game, it's just fixed third, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just maybe making an oblique reference to... We, we, I, some of us have played, you know, D&D, and we yeah. are not using 4th edition because no, we yeah. don't see any reason to do that, but... The next time we play L5R, it's going to be definitely be using no reason for the edition. If I'm playing well, I want to be on my computer. Okay, so obviously we like the book and we like the system, but what if you've never played the system? I guess we should talk very briefly about how the system works. When you're playing L5R, you need up to 10 sided dice. You don't need anything else. You never need more than that or any other. Uh, different dice. You they use a what's called a roll and keep system. You have traits that are more basic things like strength and intelligence, and you have skills that are more specific things like courtier or swords or you know investigation. And you roll a number of dice equal to the trait plus the skills, and you keep a number of those dice. Usually the highest, but it's your choice. You keep a number of those dice equal to the traits. And you're trying to beat some target number, either a static target number, or if it's an opposed roll, the roll that's being made by somebody else. Because this is Legend of the Five Rings, all of the traits are divided up into rings. The Earth Ring is stamina and willpower, the Water Ring is strength and perception, the Air Ring is reflexes and awareness, the Fire Ring is agility and intelligence, and then the Void Ring is unique in that it, it doesn't have any traits associated with it, it just provides you with... Uh, awesome. It, it, it provides you with void points Funky which you useful can, things. Yeah, you can spend to stop yourself from taking wounds, make it harder for people to hit you, gain bonuses on any die roll, basically. Uh, when you create a character, you start with twos in most things, you have a family, you have a school, those give you some bonuses, they define with what sort of skills you start with, you spend points on getting skills, and then advantages and disadvantages, which, which are unique things that don't that just do random whatever. Don't, don't necessarily have mechanical, though they could, just stuff like, oh, your guy's a little bit faster than everybody else, or, oh, your guy's a little... Oh, oh, your guy's been blessed by one of the fortunes, or cursed by one of the fortunes, or... 
Yeah, and if you when you get the actual book, it's laid out in starts with the Book of Air, which has setting information. I mean, if you just play the CCG, you get a general feel for for Rogue again, but there's obviously a lot of social intricacies that are important to the setting and and how you play the game from an RPG context right. that you just don't get from the CCG. Book of Air gives you a nice primer both on the, the history of the game, if you haven't been playing that long, uh, and then also just, yeah, wh- how, how you interact with people, how Asian cultures behave that's different from how more Western cultures behave that are our norms. Although, of course, the book does make sure to emphasize that Rokugan is not Japan or any one other place, so... Right. It's very uh, fictional. It's like Camelot to medieval Europe. Yeah, well, I, I mostly say that because they do it this way in Japan is not a legitimate reason for anything in Alphabar. No. In a lot of ways, it's like Japan in certain times and not like Japan at certain other times where it'd be annoying. Yes. Well, and, and, and one of the the things that it's not like Japan is is something that I like about this particular edition is that fitting in with the theme of giving you options, there's actually a specific side, you know, page-long sidebar about the role of women. The older versions of Legend of the Five Rings you know, had a more, I guess, historically accurate portrayal in that women are treated distinctly differently. Still, I think, much better than they were in, in real life. Right. But, but distinctly differently. And that kind of went away in 3rd edition and wasn't really discussed. And in 4th edition, defaults to a mostly gender-neutral frame of reference, but it actually... You know, references and discusses what some of the more you know gender biases were. So, depending on how, right? If, if you're one of those people that really wants to play Japan instead of Rokugan, you can you can make all the women go get you a sandwich or whatever it is. I, well, it's it's more like if you're a female samurai, you have to have an honor retainer around if they're a man. I mean, or or take vows. Personally, I don't think I'd given the choice. I'd rather run a game that. Just didn't have no that stuff that, in it. Yeah. I, if I if I can add uh, magical spellcasters into a world, certainly I can get rid of dumb things like gender bias. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, in the in the, the the book of Earth gives you the general mechanics. It's pretty short. Spend a while on character creation, like you do in in most systems, and then the the book of Water has all the odd little things that your GM may or may not allow into the game. The Spider Clan, Maho, uh, playing as minor clans, uh, ancestors, uh, just a, sort of a grab bag. And then at the back there's a, a Game Master chapter that has a basic bestiary and has tips on how to run an L5R game. Because we mentioned D&D before, everybody in you know, D&D has played that game where all the, everybody's characters met at the end and then they went off and adventured, and they, they went found some ruins of some deserted castle that's full of treasure and monsters, and fought all the monsters and took all the treasure. And you just don't do that in Rokugan. No, no, it, it doesn't. Work. I mean, GMs can kind of do whatever they want, but realistically, in in this setting, it just doesn't make sense for a bunch of people to just be hanging out at a bar and hey, let's go find the treasure. Yeah. Well, and I know it mentions in the the book one of the common set up to let everybody play whatever clan they want, almost, and just kind of cram all the characters in the party is the, oh, you're all magistrates, or and in some way under the, the Emerald Magistrates, and that gives the GM a, an excuse to have the characters all be, like, a, characters from multiple clans all be in the same party, have them all have a common goal, 
and give them the freedom to wander around different parts of the Empire without being particularly holden to their lords because they're instead serve their individual lords because they're instead serving the Emerald Champion. Right, he cuts through all that nice red tape that should be there of, hey, you're a phoenix, what are you doing in our dragon lands? Or Yeah, it's absolutely the Rokugani version of meet at the tavern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, as far as some of the... I guess that's the, the general background. So I, I think for the, the rest of the time we're going to talk about some of the things that we found particularly interesting and or I don't know if interesting is the right word, but jumped out at us about what's presented in in this page. I know a second ago I, I mentioned the Book of Fire has character creation. Uh, something that I liked and I know Jay liked and I, I think we all liked was that there are now much nicer looking splat pages for each of the clans. Those were an air. But yeah for oh. for each for each clan they give you um, in in the story section a brief description of what that clan is about, uh, what it is. What what I really liked, though, is that they, in addition to giving you what that clan is about, they give you that clan's reaction to the other clans. Uh, and I, I was just amused going through it. Two different clans picked us as our as their favorites. And us is, is Phoenix, Phoenix yes. Yes. So yes. Apparently the Phoenix are both the best allies of the dragon and, and the, the best crane. allies of the crane. Yes. Uh, when you're just amused. generally peaceable, that kind of thing tends to happen. Though. Sure. Yes. And of course, the phoenix think that their best ally is the dragon, so I guess the, the crane are left out in the cold. And, yeah, so yeah, you, you have some of the sort of obvious observations. The crab's view of the crane. Pathetic, weak socialize with scarcely a warrior among them. That that sort of right. thing. I, yes. Well, and, and the cranes say the cra- the crab are brutish oafs who think the rules of polite society should not apply to them simply because they do what they do. Uh, and sometimes this stuff kind of changes every once in a while when you know in story alliances come and go. Well, and I think that's part of the, the part of the the gen not the gender the timeline neutrality is it backs off that a little bit. Like I my recollection is that. There isn't a bunch of stuff about rosy relations between the crane and the lion in the generic section because, right. which is how they are now. But but for most of the history of of Rokugan, they were bitter enemies. Bitter enemies, and that's I think that's reflected in the Kikita and or, or the Matsu ancestors back in the optional rules. They they Hate don't each other, like yeah. each other. Uh, I think the other a, a couple other things I kind of random in the the Book of Air and the, the story section is that it, there's a pretty nice history overview and the the history overview skips straight from Yuchiban in Diamond Edition to The Race for the Throne. Lotus, I guess that kind of acknowledges that yeah, Lotus got off to a couple of false starts about what the overall storyline was going to be and then just kind of switched gears to go into kill everybody off, go to the race for the throne. And uh, they also, the Book of Air also tosses the Imperial Herald in amongst the Emperor's Chosen, which I thought was a little random since I've never seen him referred to as one of those before. Well, it's, it's especially amusing because it's not really chosen. It's always the Mayadamio. It's like... Yeah, can you really choose when you've got one option? Yeah. Well, I guess she probably has the authority to get rid of the get rid of the Miyadamio, but 
Well, speaking of the Emperor's Chosen, I was just amused that the Imperial Treasurer, they were like, we just introduced this last week, uh, so any time but now, you're, it's not going to exist. Other people were doing the duties. And even so, it's only because it's tomorrow and he's awesome that anybody takes this guy seriously. Yeah. Well, and he's... He is, I guess we, we saw a little foreshadowing of this in Winter Court 2 when they had the status for Udomaro and that, but in, in 4th edition, the, the status chart sticks the Imperial Treasurer at 7, which is the equivalent of a family, great clan family daimyo, whereas all the other empresses chosen are at 9.0 or higher. Uh, so he's not getting much of anywhere. Let's see, I'm a dragon player, so of course I pay more attention to the dragon. Schools. The Miramonobushi, I think, got hit a little hard. It definitely needed it, it well, something, get, right? They were stupid good, it so yeah, it needed, needed to, to get, get nerfed. It definitely needed to get nerfed. And it, it's kind of interesting, The uh, from a design philosophy perspective, the, when people talk about this, including people who are on the rules team and did playtesting, uh, the feeling that I get is that everybody kind of knew that the Miramoto Bushi was a little underpowered in its final form. That there was some discussion, oh, maybe do this, maybe do that, but uh, so I and, and from a design philosophy point of view, I'm not quite sure why they, how they end up deciding what some of the power levels of the individual schools are. It's not that big a deal because, you know, this is not a miniatures combat game. It's mostly about the flavor, but I I guess I, from a design philosophy, they'll just be like, okay, well, we know this school is a little bit underdone, but we'll just leave it like that. It's fine. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, there are comments with the Akoto Bushi and the Asawa Shugenjo where it's just, no, 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 this is supposed to be the best Bushi. This is supposed to be the best Shugenjo because they are in the setting, and so we're going to make them that in the game. And I always thought that that was something better exemplified through the GM displaying things. I mean, you know, you convey that Phoenix are the best Shugenja in the game by having them... Because they're all rank 2 or something. Well, yeah, by having the NPCs be better, by having there be more of them, not by saying, well, you're a, yeah, you're a Kuni, you're an Asawa, but for the most part, the Asawa's just going to be better than you. Sorry. Uh, Sorry, PC. But... I'm okay with it. You're okay with it, yeah. (laughs) You're all all right with that. But the... uh, I think... Advantages and I'm sorry, Jay. I, I, I'm just amused with the Phoenix, the the Phoenix Clan Shugenja. There's a, a path you can go into. So at rank two, you're now casting rank four spells. That just amuses me to no end. <laughs> That's kind of silly. But well, I I think people pay a lot of attention to the paths. The way that they always just re- they now just replace techniques. So I think you'll see people targeting techniques, not so much with the Shugenjo where you get like the one path for free and then you really start suffering yeah. for taking more paths, which is good because you get something out of it. It used to be you just path like crazy, which I think we talked about earlier, but I know like I, I've seen people talk about this with other classes and I know I feel that way with the Miramoto Bushi and the rank 4 technique where I'm just waiting for them to come out with a path that lets me path out of the school with that <laughs> technique because I don't like it. Uh, so it's like, please make a rank 4 dueling technique. Pretty, pretty please. Uh, I think another big change as far as balance in 4th edition goes, although it's not really any sort of design philosophy thing, is advantages and disadvantages. I think anybody who played 3rd edition knows that there were a lot of advantages and disadvantages that were terrible 
Like, I mean, you'd, you'd be paying a lot of points and you'd be getting nothing. Or you pay very few points and get way too much. There were several advantages. Bishamon's Blessing, Voice, Combat Reflexes, that just everybody would take. Because they were so good. And a real effort has been made to depower things like that. And, uh, I mean, the only luck seems to be the single best, broadly useful advantage. It basically just the same thing it did before, but everything above that got got cut off. Uh, although, on the flip side, the system did introduce a couple of more free disadvantages that don't really do anything mechanically. So, uh, the classic one in 3rd edition was always Wrath of the Kami Water. It made it easier for people to cast healing spells on you effectively. <laughs> no! <laughs> uh, but there are, there are at least a few water damage spells now, but they have... Uh, there's Daikoku's Curse, which... Makes you bad at commerce, which you don't care about unless you're one of a very small portion of samurai characters that will ever be made in this game. Oh no, I'm really bad at something I'm not supposed to be doing anyway. Yes, Darn! <laughs> Next uh, you're going to tell me I'm too loud. And, uh... Can't sneak around. There, there's a, a set of Cursed by the Realms disadvantages, and one of them is Cursed by Yomi, and it just prevents you from taking a certain subset of advantages, so... <laughs> You aren't gonna so take... bonus points if you don't yeah, take them. Yeah, I wasn't gonna take an ancestor, so I guess I'll just take cursed by Yomi and or, hope I don't run into too many beach by Yushi courtiers. Or, or cur- cursed by Yumi though, where you have to sleep for ten hours instead of eight. Most GMs just sort of gloss over that anyway. Yeah, when especially there are uh, there remain some disadvantages that are just absolutely crippling to a character right. for similar uh, points values. I think there are. I don't think there are as many. Just I, I want to be missing a limb and blind. That'll is that the same points value as cursed by? Let's see. Uh, cursed by is no. They're both more. Okay, we'll see that. That's cursed good. by is four. Blind is six, and missing limb is six. Oh, that's so. good. Okay. So <laughs> I thought you were saying that those were like two each, which would so you can get that. a couple of bonus points by being blind instead, guys. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the I, mean, I, I could sleep a little longer. Or I could not have eyes and get two more points? Hmm, <laughs> tough call. Yeah, and, but it, again, it comes down to, like you said, you know, if you're a, I was saying, if you're a GM, uh, don't let your players take those. Yeah. I, I, I think... Or, 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 those, to me, are always the type of thing where it's, if you're either you're taking it because your GM's not paying attention or your GM is planning to screw the hell out of you for yeah. making it. Yeah, I, I still think it's the GM. It, it can, oh, man, it, you've been cursed by Yomi. Welcome to my campaign. You're going to Yomi. There are different. There there are disadvantages that require GM work that are interesting. Things like dependent, where it can be used as a plot hook. But working something like working the story impact of Cursed by Yomian in a way that the player is actually getting the worth of its advantages, that's just a lot of extra effort for the GM. Right. Well, that's also blatant. You can't really do. Yeah. (laughs) You can't do. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh. So, I'd like to see someone subtly work in some way of screwing someone for having to sleep ten hours instead of eight. Right. Yeah. And I think on, on the back on the advantages side, I think there are fewer. Like there, there were, there was a much wider spread of power in tradition. There were a couple of really good ones that needed to get chopped down and did, which we mentioned. But there were also some ones that just didn't do anything and cost a lot of points. Some of them, I think maybe they got. Uh, Changed at the last minute of the third edition playtesting, and the points values didn't change. But I, I think chosen by the oracles was the only one where I just f- 
flipped through that really stood out of me as probably a big waste of points. I mean, if I guess if you know you're going into the Shadowlands a lot, you could take Chosen by the Oracle's Earth, but since the rulebook specifically describes raw ring rolls as being, which is all that Chosen gives you a bonus on now, as being very, very rare, as very uncommon, it doesn't seem like a great thing to spend six points on. That seems like the sort of thing one might ask your GM to discount. Yeah, really terrible advantages that don't really see much use aren't as big of a deal as disadvantages that are just free points. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't it it, it doesn't balance it. Kind of well, I I know in a I swear there's only like thirty seconds of this. I mean, I have I mean I have had a character before where I as a character was like, oh, I want to try to get my my life's goal is to be somehow blessed by the elements of each one, and that's. And that really makes it hard to do that concept. I mean, a number of these are conceptual, and that's what they, they were. Even the ones that have mechanical effects require a bit more work for the GM to do their social situations. Not everything in the game, not all the advantages and disadvantages are just simple. Oh, I get this bonus in combat, or I get that bonus in combat. I, but still, on the whole, I think the advantages are are much much more balanced. There's a lot less power swing between, you know, useless ones and overkill ones. And I think that they did a good job on the skills, too. I especially like that they cleaned up the temptation rules and that they made an effort to have awareness not be the be and end-all trait for every single social rule you're ever going to make. Okay? That's enough for the RPG. special segment of Strange Assembly from the Shameless Commerce Division. I was going to do an interview with John about his single shot, but then I realized that he's already read all the questions that people asked on the forum, and uh, you probably don't need to listen to me repeat them again, so I'm just going to sit here and listen with you while John tells us about what it's like to be a single dealer. Well, um, I just want to address the uh, questions that were asked on the forums first. And then uh, I'll answer a couple of other ancillary questions uh, towards the end. Uh, one of the questions that was asked on our forums was, how do you know what the R1 cards are from the rest of the rares before the rest of the world? Uh, I guess my answer to that is I really don't. Uh, whenever I open a lot of product, talking you know, 8 to 10 boxes of boosters uh, for, for each set, um, I haven't done that with Plague War because of you know, ex- ex- extraneous circumstances. But uh, when I did that for the Harbinger and for uh, Path, whatever stack was shorter than the rest were probably the rare one cards, especially if it was a unique. Um, I was a little surprised with expendable resources being rare one because it wasn't unique in Path, but uh, you know that 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 usually is 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 an indicator. Um, another question: What truly makes a card worth thirty bucks? Um, just wanting to know how you know how, how pricing works. The way that I do my pricing, uh, believe it or not, I actually uh, compare to what other retailers are doing on eBay. 
Um, I don't compare to other people who run their own sites, mostly because eBay fees being what they are, uh, I typically just compare to other people selling there. And the reason that I sell there instead of setting up my own shop is, uh, quite honestly, I don't either have time or the know-how to either set up my own uh, shop, or even worse, if it were to get hacked or to crash, I wouldn't know how to resurrect it. Whereas if something like that happens on eBay, they will uh, fix it themselves and you know maybe even reimburse me for that problem. Um, as far as uh, how process to go through to get, get cards and how do I set up shop, um, I just started the store with uh, Glory of the Empire. Um, before that, I just ran auctions exclusively. But I, I saw that running an online store through eBay as opposed to just running auctions uh, was really going to help because I was going back to graduate school. My wife and I decided to expand our family. So instead of you know setting up auctions on a weekly basis, uh, I decided to actually go ahead and open up a store. Now, as far as getting cards, believe it or not, and I know that a lot of people are going to you know not believe me when I say this, but the vast majority of my cards, probably 80% of what I buy, come from a local store. Uh, the local store out in Douglasville, Hobby Hangout, is just down the street from where I live. And I actually ask him to order things for me. And yes, I do pay more than I would at Potomac, but um, I always like to support the local stores uh, in buying bulk product. Uh, about 20% I do buy, uh, uh, probably 15% of my cards come from Potomac, uh, especially whenever they have a scratch and dent sale, uh, whenever they have a box that's, that's you know been dented and they, they discounted it just a bit, I'll, I'll buy those. Um, and I do buy singles on eBay. Um, whenever there's something that I'm out of, I'll put up a search for that particular card, and whenever an auction comes up, I'll go and bid on them. Um, Another question, how do you get promos like Temptations or Herald cards? Well, I do have multiple subscriptions to the Herald. Uh, I have one subscription for each of the car each of the uh, the clans that got Temptations, although I haven't sold any Temptations. Um, I actually keep those cards from my personal collection because I actually am a collector as well as a retailer. Uh, and Herald cards, of course, yeah, I do have those multiples. Um, what are his thoughts on Toshi Rambo? I like the idea of putting out a learn-to-play set like that for two reasons. One is if you're going to load it with good rares. You mean Battle at Cute and Tombow. Oh, okay. Battle at Cute and Tombow. Thank you. It was it was typed in Battle at Toshi Rambo. But uh, the Battle at Cute and Tombow, I actually like sets like that uh, because they're full of cards that I'm starting to run out of so I can replenish. Yes, those cards come down in price, but if I can buy a $30 box of cards for and, and price them out and singles them out for 60 to 75 I, you know that, that obviously is good. And the second good thing about putting out something like that is because uh, if it does what it's designed to do and brings people into the game, they're going to be buying other cards that they couldn't get in that, and therefore uh, you know that, that's just good for business. Uh, there was a comment, I like John's commentaries and all, but his prices are steep. I, I agree, my prices are pretty expensive. Uh, but I see myself as more of a kind of a boutique store as opposed to doing things in volume. Um, I don't typically go through boxes and boxes of cards for a set. I don't buy things by the case. I actually buy them two or three boxes at a time as I can afford them. Uh, the only reason that I do the retailing thing at all is uh, so that I can continue playing the game myself. Uh, I made the a promise to the wife a long time ago that I wouldn't spend money on cards that I didn't make on cards. So that that's the reason that I even run things at all. Um, how do you ship your cards? I actually ship in top loaders, in bubble mailers, as opposed to just putting things in a soft sleeve and an envelope with a stamp. 
Um, I charge a buck seventy-five shipping, and believe it or not, uh, on whenever I ship things out, usually the container or the the bubble envelope costs me about twenty to thirty cents, and then the actual uh, 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 postage is usually a buck and a is usually a buck and a quarter. So uh, you know, I'm not I'm not one of those who tries to make money off of, of shipping either. And how long have I been selling cards? Well, I've been selling cards since before there was an eBay. I used to run email auctions on like trade list serves way back in the day. Here's your Star Wars reference. The old Star Wars CCG used to have a trades list, and I'd just run email auctions on that. So uh, I've been selling cards for a good long time. But uh, yeah, was there anything that y'all wanted to ask? Ooh, ooh, go ahead. Is there a employee discount for Stranger Something Podcast members? Like, can I buy Rising Sunblades for a dollar each off of you? Uh, if I had them, maybe. But uh, unfortunately, I don't have any extra of those. But sure, I mean, that's that's the other thing that I did want to say. Uh, if my prices are too high, that's why I list everything as a best offer. Send me an offer. If it's less than half of what I have it listed, I'm probably not going to accept it. But just last night, somebody sent me an offer of like 15 bucks for uh, Only Action Speak. I took it. It's sitting there at 18. It hasn't sold for a couple of weeks. 15, I'll take that. So, uh, you know, if, if you don't care for my prices, by all means, send me a best offer. I don't know. If you're not giving me stuff for free, I don't know if I have any use for you, John. <laughs> All right. That's it. Oh, look. It's now July 24th when just a second ago it was July 17th. That must mean that we're re-recording our Gen Con segment because last week's Gen Con segment got torn to pieces by a bunch of new Gen Con announcements that were made in the last week and so we wanted to try again. Uh, Gen Con, for those of you who have been living under a, uh, an L5R rock or a gaming is, rock any sort of gaming rock is probably the biggest event in L5R over the year that the only rival, the European Championships, or the World Championships this year, they trade back and forth, but I always just call them Gen Con and, and Euro Champs, and I don't really care which one is Worlds or not. Then this segment, like I said, this is this is the 25th, uh, it's 24th now, not the 17th. Kevin is here, not Trevor. And, Hi, guys. Uh, Kevin? And uh, Kevin and Trevor and I will be at Gen Con. The rest of the Strange Assembly crew will not be at Gen Con. And I'm probably the only one of the three of us who's going to be wearing a costume. Yeah! Oh, costume. Yeah, I, I <laughs> believe that that is. You don't very, think Trevor will wear true. a costume? No. I don't think you could pay Trevor I, I, to I, wear a costume. If actually, I cost I him, think, I mean, he'll be carrying around a lighter. I think I'll uh, get him a pirate hat and an eye patch, and maybe he'll wear that. <laughs> uh. Pirate hat, eye patch, and pay him? I think you'd be more likely to get him to wear a costume if you got him some kind of big bling dollar sign (laughs) (laughs) to to be tomorrow or something. I'm not saying he'd wear that, but I I think if you wanted to shoot for it... A nice green pimp suit. Would be... uh, Yes. Pimp pimp money. I think think he's more with the, the bling thing. I'm trying to remember if he actually had... A, a big dollar sign he, necklace picked like drawn onto his copy. He, he, yes. He's got a, a big dollar sign necklace drawn onto his copy of tomorrow in, in yeah. his competition deck. Yes, yes, to go. Yes, he, and as we we talked about last week in the RPG segment, he he's got the bling out <laughs> the, the gold plated version of the uh, the RPG yeah. look for the Mantis. 
But uh, Gen Con has a lot of big CCG events at it, but I think Gen Con is as important as it is for L5R's annual calendar. Not as much, not not almost, almost not as much for the CCG events as for the the more social aspects of it. The chance for all of these players who see each other maybe a couple times a year in isolated little segments at Kote, who talk to each other in these online forums to actually get together and have fun. And so I think I'd actually rather talk about some of the, the social stuff first. One of the annual traditions at Gen Con are clan dinners, where on usually on Thursday nights, somebody in the clan will organize a dinner and everybody can, can get together for those of you, including me, who are too lazy to go onto all the different websites and look to see where the clan dinners were, uh, luckily for us, Dace actually did do that. So I'll go ahead and, and let you know that the crab dinner is at Buffalo Wild Wings at 8. The crane dinner is at the Ram at 7.30. The dragon and scorpion dinners are at Rock Bottom at 8, preceded by the mantis dinner at Rock Bottom at 7. The Lion are going expensive and Japanese at the Mikado at 7.30. The Phoenix are going to the Alcatraz Brewing Company at 8. Uh, and the Spider and the Unicorn are going to be at the Weber Grill at 8 and 8.30. This uh, is good because they didn't actually announce where the Phoenix Clan dinner was <laughs> on the Phoenix website. <laughs> oh, so This is the first time I've heard of this. It's at the Alcatraz Brewing Company. Oh, well, Dace's link is to somewhere on thephoenixclan.com, so... Although I, it's the first time I've heard of the Alcatraz Brewing Company. But that sounds cool. So, that's yeah. Hopefully less expensive than the Mikado, because that's where we went last year. Yeah, I, I actually set up the location and time for the Dragon one, and that's that was one of my criteria. I didn't, I mean, you don't want to end up at just Steak and Shake. Partially because they, well, partially because <laughs> they don't take, because they'll actually, because they don't take reservations is a big reason, oh, and no. you have a hard time. But people, you want it to be interesting to go to it. Like, we are rock bottom. Is not that expensive. There's a, you know, always a certain portion who want a good variety of alcoholic beverages, and that's Rock Bottom Brewery and Restaurant. So, so we got to have that. Um, yeah, I think um, Steak and Shake is where the minor clans have their dinner. <laughs> <laughs> they let the minor clans eat. Yes, apparently. Uh, All the hair clan players go to Steak and Shake. Yeah, but but something that's different about this year's clan dinners is that AEG is making an effort to have one or two AEG associated people, player design team members, story team members, AEG employees go to the different clan dinners. I know at the, the Dragon one we have Sean Carmen and, and then Loic off of the the PDT. I haven't kept track of who's going to the other ones except the the Phoenix clan is getting we're getting Nicholas at our dinner I know for sure and last year we had Fred Wong which was pretty cool I don't know yes. if he's coming again this year but that he he's more than welcome as far as, my, as I'm concerned I'm I'm gonna guess since I hadn't thought of this but my wife took French and she pointed out that since he's French it's probably Nicolas not Nicholas Nicolas I'm, okay. I'm guessing I I don't know if you're listening but I I I'm guessing Nicolas Bonjour. Feel free to let us know how much we've killed your name. Uh, <laughs> but, we have uh, a habit of that. He'll probably correct me at the Phoenix dinner. Yes, yes. Uh, but 
Uh, yeah, I think Reese is the. I, I know most most of the clans are. A lot of the clans are getting two. Yeah, the Mantis got one. They got Reese, which I noticed because a, a couple of the Mantis players then declared their intentions to uh, call him to task for for making the Mantis awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I would suggest Mantis players. Not effective at making your clan better, and oh, your clan doesn't need to be any better right now, anyway. But uh, Dace has also just announced on the forums. I know absolutely nothing about it other than this: that there is some sort of storyline component to this year's clan step. That's the totality of what we know. So, in case you were going to be at Gen Con and you weren't sure if you wanted to rush out of the grinder and get your clan dinner. That might be a reason to. Our guess is that it's going to be a competitive eating contest or a drinking contest. That's just my guess. I'm probably totally wrong I'm, about I'm that. I'm going with eating over drinking because it's Dace rather than Ling. Ah, uh, that's true. Just, just we'll guess. have to do the, like, the drinking like, contest at the 15th yeah, anniversary. You, you don't have to announce drinking contests. The, the drinking contest will just assumed. But Yes, but now there are storyline implications for them. <laughs> that's what they're announcing. But one of the other social events at at this year's Gen Con is the on Saturday night the the event is a I think three hour long AEG hosted party to celebrate the fifteenth anniversary. I don't know. I think they're actually they're actually serving food. Yeah, the there's party. supposed to be free food and drink. And uh, I understand. I hear they're doing clan councils, but. They're, but not really. But not really. This is actually one of the reasons why we redid the Gen Con segment from last week, is that you, you would have listened to me gushing at length about how awesome clan councils were and how glad I was that they were bringing them back. And it turns out that the sole purpose of these clan councils is to decide what to do with any points that the clan gets from the live performance the contest. Battle which is also going to be at the party. So I imagine it's just going to be, you know, the 20X-Clan players getting together, raising their hands, and I don't... I don't yeah, most one of the or clans, two Scorpions helping out. Yes, yes. Although, since I, I mean, it's at the party, I imagine these are not really going to be secure covert. And, and most clans seem to have strong preferences one way or the other anyway. I mean... The crane and spider votes will take less than, oh, I don't know, a microsecond each to decide that they would like to donate any points they get to the Empire. Uh, yeah. It kind of makes me sad, because this will be my third Gen Con, and this will be my first clan council, and it's not a real clan council. And my first time I went to Gen Con, all the Phoenix players were like, yeah, we had a clan council last year, I hope we're going to have one this year. Last year was awesome. We nominated Ho-Ho to be the Emperor. <laughs> yes, and yes. then they were told... No. Yeah. Uh, so sad. But uh, that 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 particular individual decision was interesting. I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of the reasons that they don't do clan councils anymore is that they tended to ask these really broad, what will we do with, should we do with your clan in this generic sort of way that then often ended up getting ignored because that's not what the story team wanted to do with the clan, and I mean, you, I, I, and I, just for example, just because I, you know, a dragon player, I remember what the dragon ones were better. You know, they got asked like, "What will the Tamori do?" And the answer was, "Oh, they'll explore the secrets of the mountain." I don't think that ever went anywhere. You know, are the Tagashi going to focus on fighting the Shadowlands? Are they going to leave the wall and go fight the spider monks? Well, I think 
like there was one fight scene between a dragon monk and a spider monk and nothing ever came of that and and so when you're adding that you know the story team has some idea of what they want to do and it, it doesn't it doesn't serve any purpose to ask the players questions about broad directions if you don't feel that you can honor that and if you do try to honor it then you know it's going to kind of tear at the the cohesive theme that you're trying to do yeah I've kind of felt that way about the whole story since like Samurai ended is that it's been kind of a lot less uh, dependent on player input like I feel like we've been kind of riding a railroad car through the story and just you know different things highlight in favor of different clans instead of players actually having any real input as far as how the story goes but yeah. that could just be me mostly okay with that I, I think the I mean isn't that kind of how the game started out there was already this general story of you know what was going to happen in the clan war and you have I mean their big things were like Who's going to get the ancestral sword of Hante? In the gut. I, in the in the gut. Uh, well, I, I, that's a perpetually complained about prize. But I, to me, that was always one of those. You know, Kisada was going to get nailed anyway. They just decided to combine it, which is one of the things that the story team has to watch out for. Is if something kind of negative was going to happen to a clan, and you incorporate that into something else that the clan won, the clan is going to get pissed. Uh, because now they feel like they're getting punished for their story prize, and so you know that's those are the sort of thing they have to keep separate. But I, it's I, I think the difference now is that there are just so many more tournaments that affect the storyline, and there's this balance between telling a coherent long-term story and then trying to give the players input. And if you let the players win, like you know, the player results completely change what happens in in mid story, mid arc. Then, then how does that? I mean, how do you prepare or write for that in advance? I mean, a lot of the big prizes out there tend to be, you know, what clan wins the Emerald Champion, which particular Thunder gets the killing blow on on Fu Lang, who gets who gets enlightened, and, and that's an interesting sort of thing. There's a broad that's more of a broader storyline thing affecting how the clan is seen going forward and the crane won that and then nothing much happened with that in the story because it, it just didn't get worked in. I don't know how really you would have worked in Enlightenment. The Enlightenment never... None of the different aspects of Enlightenment that they did in the storyline seemed to work out. But I think we've been talking about that for about five minutes and none of that involves Gen Con or at least not this year's Gen Con. It's a tangent. Uh, so, my understanding is there's also the bar crawl after the, the Saturday party? The bar crawl. After the Saturday party, there will be directions and an itinerary posted, I believe, or, or handed out. But I think it's going to start at rock bottom after the party on Saturday night. Uh, drink responsibly. Yeah, I, I know a number of good things as far as bar crawls go that have been, had to be cut down over the years because people got in trouble. One of my schools, the school actually used to pay for a bar crawl for the graduating seniors. That sounds like a horrible disaster. (laughs) Until, until of course, one year four of them got arrested and then so much for that. But uh, the last more social thing that I want to mention is 
if you can, go to something that's not L5R. We all obviously like L5R, but one of the funnest days that I had last year at Gen Con was Friday, when I had the luxury of not having to, to grind in because I had queued through through a Kote. And I think I entered the sealed deck, played run one round, dropped, and then spent the rest of the day playing games I hadn't played before, hanging out with people, and I, I think I actually spent a large part of Friday with uh, with Josh Foreman and, and Chiraboga over on, on RokuCast, and we got to play new AEG games that were coming out. I got to play uh, Tomb for the first time, which is an AEG game that's been out forever, but I had never played, but, but Foreman had a copy of that with him. And, uh, yeah. and then I... Yeah. Yeah. And so... It's 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 fun and it's a lot less intense. It's nice to have a breather in there, if if you can have it. There are a lot of cool things going on Gen Con that aren't L five R. Last year when I went, I played uh, Android, which is a fantasy flight game with one of the designers, uh, which was really cool. Um, and I played in the Illuminati New World Order event, which is like a really really old card game from the nineties. Oh yeah. I have a particular expertise in. Um, and I'll be playing that again this year too. So, so if you want to go play some old card game that wasn't very good that died in the '90s, you can do that with Kevin. Uh, <laughs> uh, as far as actual L5R tournaments, though, uh, there are a number of ancillary events. You can play drafts all the time if you don't feel like playing in the main events. Aren't those going on mostly constantly? Yes. Yeah. Either it's not. I mean, they're not starting constantly, but uh, you can definitely, yeah, they just start those whenever. Uh, obviously, a lot of people will spend Thursday and Friday trying to grind in. Those are usually in the mold of play seven or eight rounds. Everybody who's X and two gets qualified for the main event. I don't know if that's the actual numbers that they're going to use I, this year. I will be trying to grind in on, on Thursday. Uh, yeah, Kevin will be grinding it on Thursday. Trevor's already qualified. I'm not, but I will be doing podcast and social things on Thursday. And uh, maybe and grinding on Friday, on Friday. or or maybe not. Uh, I'm not. Part of my philosophy on that is I can still play in the second chance event, which is still playing off five R all day, and it's not like I'm going to win the main event anyway. <laughs> so I'd like to play in the main event, but it's it's not like I'm- getting in is going to. Me I just want to beat my placing in the main event from last year. I was 25th in the main event last year. But I'd like to do better than that. That's my goal. If you don't have to grind in and you are playing L5R on Thursday and Friday, they have an invitational. On Thursday, we get to play with a bunch of design team members. On Friday, there's a super winner's choice event where the top four all get glory points and get to take one of the keywords off of the list. That's cool. But of course, you know, the main event and the second chance event are the big things on on Saturday and Sunday. And the the storyline for the second chance tournament is the final plague storyline event for the the storyline result for the main event is Wrath of the God Beast, uh, both of which are prizes that seem likely to get your choice killed. So, yeah. Yeah. Don't pick somebody cool. Pick 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 an old guy you didn't think you'd see yeah. again. You know, fr- from a Phoenix perspective, that's just fine. 
Um, Piccolo, we'll come back. <laughs> uh, our people come back from the dead all the time, so... Uh, don't, don't, no. I wouldn't expect it, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I, the, the person might survive the wrath of the god beast, but the final play was very much a... Oh, definitely says. Yeah, he's you're gonna, gonna die. die. Yeah, your, your clan has a good sense of people, and if they don't get eaten by the zombies, they're going to catch the plague and die. Uh, I guess the the plague is kind of done now that sort of ended. I guess it's, it's hard to remember that the name of this mega game is not the Plague War, as a lot of us started calling yeah. it. Kote season was Plague War. The name of the mega game is the Empire's Glory, so it seems like the plague aspect of that is pretty much done as of Gen Con and that story last month where the, uh, the Gampugu gang killed the Ghoul Lord. Uh, I, it seems like that was the event that stopped the plague from being as nasty as it was and ra- it is raising people from the dead. Right. Well, seems we, like there's no more zombies with the Ghoul Lord done. We we do have Pinecki zombie running around though. Yes. Yeah. I don't I don't think he's gonna die as a result of Jenga. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, unless the scorpion one. wins, can they pick Pinecki's disgrace to go? Uh? <laughs> no, because Pinecki's disgrace is not aligned to their faction. Oh, right. Uh, Darn. Yes, and uh, I know I know uh, who who was mentioned, and I know that last year there were some goblin issues with the story prize, and I think that that I mean th- th- these year's prizes to some extent remind me of last year's in that a lot of people look at them and they don't seem that exciting at first glance, and it kind of relies on. The, the story team to make something, make whatever it is that you want cool beyond what it sounds like in the initial prize. And I still think that last year it, it felt to me like the story team had some tragic, poignant sort of story to tell. And then Goblin's won. And it got, it, yeah, it got ruined because Spider won, and, and Spider just didn't make any sense for that sort of story because they're... They're just the evil guys. What do they care if they have to slaughter a bunch of people? That's what they like to do. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, the goblin implementation. I, I still just, think it'd be hilarious for to kill the god beast by rolling in carts of goblins again. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't. And that's why my personal request, Sean, is I know that there is hoo-hoo. I know that there's a spider-clan goblin. I know there's a spider-clan Obi. Don't have some non-human silliness come in and eat the god beast. Everybody's got a non-human now. They they could do it a a goblin like Katamari ball, you know? (laughs) No. Haven't you ever played D&D? You poison the goblin, let it eat it, it's like a halfling with a dragon. No, see, see, stop. You're giving them bad ideas. I don't it, think they'd ever use your terrible, it, terrible, bad, awful wait, wait, ideas. Wait, isn't this like with the cards but, where, if, because we didn't put a boilerplate in, they can't use the ideas now? No. no, no we should get all uh, our bad ideas out now, then. <laughs> no, because any idea that you come up with with what they do with their story is a derivative work on their existing intellectual property. You have no rights in it, and they can use whatever they want out of it. Okay, so, let's stop doing those, then. <laughs> okay, so I probably shouldn't mention the undead Kuan. <laughs> no. Okay. I, 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 luckily, I, I don't know if, if Sean is willing to have Gaku kill the god beast or not, but I'm pretty certain that he's not willing to use anything that you people just said. Uh, <laughs> I just have this mental picture of Gaku climbing up the god beast, like, Shadow of Colossus style, taking a dagger and, like, burrowing into its eye, like, slowly. 
I'm a very and luckily <laughs> you don't write the L five four story. And luckily I don't play Spider either. So, uh, but yeah, in addition to, of course, whoever the winner chooses for Wrath of the God Beast, the subject of the veto of the story team, use it, use it wisely, story team. But in addition to that, the top of clan at the main event will be given a list of characters to choose that they can choose from to assist in killing the god beast and while the winner's choice has to be something somebody who's CE legal that's not necessarily in there for the list for the old heroes and while I think there's a reasonable chance that the guy who actually kills the god beast might survive I think a lot of those top of clans are not and I would I would not be surprised to see those include some old guys and this kind of be like your last chance to get to see that guy go out in a blaze of glory Instead of just not showing up again in in fiction, I know I've always wanted. I I would like to see a conclusion to what happens with Kenzo and his rack of cursed weaponry, and you know, going out helping kill I mean, the god beast is as good as anything. Again, from a Phoenix perspective, that's not really a problem for us. I mean, <laughs> we're used to our people self-sacrificing themselves all the time. It's just what Phoenix seemed to like to do. I mean, deep down, it's a samurai story. I mean, yeah, self-sacrifice uh, for your duty just kind of happens on a daily basis. Yeah, I, I, how, how often do... How, how, when do Phoenix characters actually blow themselves up in the story more so than other clans? Um, I, can, I can mention a couple places. There, there was Dak. Uh, there's been the, uh, the whole uh, Oracle series where at least... They went around butchering people? No, the, the Dark Oracles. No, no, yes, but the Phoenix went out and killed the Dark Oracles. That's not self-sacrifice. That's going and fighting somebody and some of your guys die. Uh, everybody does that. But it's for the greater good. Uh, yes, yes. You are stupendously noble and self-sacrificing beyond, <laughs> above and beyond what anybody else does. In addition to the social <laughs> events and the CCG events at Gen Con, there are honor events this again this year. Uh, those include a costume contest, which... Thankfully, is on Sunday. Uh, I say thankfully because a couple of years ago, when they had the Comcat, the uh, costume contest in the middle of the main event, that was along with all the other Race for the Throne events, it was pretty chaos. chaotic. Uh, it's always fun to try to play in costume, having done that several times. Again, gotta get yeah. gotta get Trevor the uh, the green pimp outfit. Yeah. I suppose if you want to waste your money, <laughs> uh, there's the theme deck competition. You have to. Play in the main event or the second chance event on Saturday to be entered into the theme deck competition. I would think that there will be enough yeah. people competing for that that you probably have to be a completely non-competitive deck. Both that and the costume contest, you're not going to likely put something together in a half day or write up a theme deck at the event with your tournament deck and get hired yeah, with it. You're not going to take fourth place with the My Theme is Awesome Lion Guys deck. Or the... I my costume is I brought a mask with me and put it on to be Scorpion. Not that I blame anyone for winning that because heck, if you show up and there's only two guys with real costumes or two guys with real theme deck events, then you know why wouldn't you try to put together sure. an entry? Cardboard I, outfit, not, guys. Not gonna not gonna happen here. There's also a clan T-shirt competition, which is on Saturday. So whoever has the most clan T-shirts. Oh. Okay, it's a, it's a number, not like original T-shirt or anything. Like that, that is correct. Any, I think any clan-specific T-shirt. I think that's in the CCG hall, and also people off playing the RPG and the Heroes of Rokugan 
activities, and this is actually the last year for Heroes of Rokugan, I believe, at least in its current format. So I don't know what they're doing with, with relaunch, but the, the current leadership is stepping down. But that's... and But I don't... I have not heard anything about that having an honor point impact, although maybe it is, and I've, I missed it. And then, like we mentioned before, there's that live performance competition that'll be at the party. I have no idea how that's going to turn out. I no, no one does. Either. Can't imagine uh, what's going to win that competition or I, what people are going to churn out for that. Try. I don't know what the judges are looking for. I have ideas for what I want the Phoenix to do, but it's really going to depend on the other Phoenix players. Um, yeah, there there isn't just, a lot of. Just lead remember, time. you can't get fireworks onto an airplane, so you you yeah, gotta buy I, them when you get there. You you think <laughs> as I do. Also, <laughs> you're not allowed to set them off in the ballroom at the Hilton. I kind of figured this. Uh, I'm I'm well aware of the. So, is there going to be a field trip involved with your story? And drinking, um, possibly. <laughs> I, I that I think would work out for everyone else because then. No one will go on your field trip. They will stay at the party, and the judges will not see your entrance. And then it'll be done. We'll uh, I don't. I don't even know how there. It sounded like there was going to be one entry per clan. I don't know what will happen if there are two people who want to do something from the same clan. Uh, it's a bit muddy by the fact the that it's a it's a performance competition, but it's phrased in in terms of what would your clan do to cure the plague. So I'm not sure how you perform and answer that, and that's also the sort of question where if you were trying to answer it seriously, it would be the L5R version of Technobabble. I, I think what you have yeah. to do is you have to bring an actual sick person in and cure them. Or, no? Or, or kill them in the Scorpion's case, because yeah. that's usually what they do with the play victims. Right. Um, or turn them into an undead in the Spider's case. Yes, yeah. We're I think coming I, up with a lot of terrible ideas in this podcast. Yes. <laughs> I, oh, I, I think a lot it's of because I'm here. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. well, I think the zombies. I, I think one of the the immediate thoughts that a lot of people had on the spider realm was, "Ooh, thriller!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we make the plague zombies dance for our entertainment. I don't know. I don't know if there's enough time to. But you have to have enough spider players who already have costumes. And know how to dance the thriller and dance. can sort of do the thriller dance. And then you still don't know what the judges are looking for. I don't know. Are they looking for I, serious? Are they looking for funny? I don't know if they know exactly what they're looking for. They might just show up and see our performances and then kind of, well, what was the coolest? Yeah. Well, that's at least a criteria. What that is a criteria. Well, one, one of them will be mocking mercilessly all of the performances. One of them will say, that's cool, dog. And one of them will just be tittering about it. Is that how it we're works, gonna right? Have a, we're going to have a, a Simon and a... Yeah, yeah that's what I was yeah, going for there. Yes. Let's bring trash pop culture into the, <laughs> the matter. Okay. And having uh, insulted the most popular American television show over the last six, eight years or so, let's call this segment a wrap. This is the Strange Assembly News Desk Supplement for July 24, 2010. AEG has announced that they will be hosting a party at Gen Con on Saturday night 
to celebrate the 15th anniversary of L5R, in part as a result of the printing issues that the CCG has experienced since the launch of Celestial Edition, AEG has switched printers starting with IG3. This will result in slight coloration differences from IG3 versus the prior sets and means that opaque sleeves will be required in tournaments for the rest of Celestial Edition. There have been a couple of changes announced in Gen Con qualifications. People with automatic qualifications to the main event, such as Kote winners, are now qualified for both Gen Con and Eurochamps, where in the past they had to pick one or the other to use their qualification on. Also, if a player qualifies through a grinder, he is no longer restricted to playing the same clan in the main event. The Gen Con event kit has been announced. This will also be the event kit at European Championships. It's 50 bucks. You get a polo shirt, possibly with a clan mon if you order early enough, 10 random CE legal packs, and the event kit promo pack, which has 50 cards, 18 different cards. Also, the Daigatsu Chozu promo for the Spider Clan has been shipped out. In tournament news, the winner's choice event in Vancouver was won by Andrew Ornatov with Spider, who donated his points to Jigoku. A winner's choice event in Rockville, Maryland was won by Barry Koontz with the Dragon. It is unknown what he did with his points. There has been one news story in the last week that was chosen by Fate on July 24, 2010 by Sean Carmen. This sampling of the activities of the Empress's Chosen kicks off with the Imperial Chancellor Bayushi Hisoka seeking guidance from the voice of the Empress Tagashi Satsu. Satsu clarifies how he speaks for the Divine One and discusses the nature of her wisdom. In the second scene, the Imperial Advisor Susumu and his new bodyguard Bayushi Jatsushi visit a lion compound where the former Miramoto Taishu is being held. After mocking Akoto Kuragane and Matsukase, Susumu indicates that Taishu should contact Daigatsu to see if the Dark Lord can provide any information on the God Beast. In the third scene, the Imperial Treasurer Yoritomo Udamaro visits the camp of Moto Jinsan and finds the Shogun discussing the deteriorating situation with Shiba Danjiro. Jinsan confirms to Udamaro that the army does not have what it needs to defeat their enemies. Udamaro offers to overtax the Empire exhaust the fields, and work the peasants nearly to death in order to provide the Shogun with a chance for victory. Jinsan accepts. That's it for the Strange Assembly News Desk for July 24, 2010. Why are we recording? I thought we only did three segments. We're doing four today. So, so somebody got to the extra level. They went down the the warp pipe at the end. We've got bonus segment. It has oh, been, that's it right. Has been decreed I, by the Empress that we shall do a fourth segment. Right. I said that we we do a bonus segment because we made everybody wait an extra week because we wanted to redo the Gen Con segment. So this is just for you. Just for me. Sweet. I was pointing at the microphone. Ah. Okay. Yes. Nobody. To the not everything is about there. you, Kevin. Just most things. Yes. Okay. But something that is not really about us. There will be the first thing we talk about in the bonus segment. Also, your your bonus segment today will be a grab bag. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about in the bonus segment is 
solving the riddle, which you've heard about from Yay. me before, and you'll hear about from me over and over and over again until it's October. Uh, solving the riddle is the charity tournament series. This is its third year, raising money for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. You can check out the thread about it in the if you go to alderac.com slash forums, although I imagine you all already know how to find the AEG forums. Uh, into the events section, there's a designated thread stickied up at the top about Solving the Riddle 2010. Uh, the big new thing about Solving the Riddle was that Solving the Riddle is worth points this year for the Mega Game, the clan that brings in the highest total value of donations is going to get nine points and then eight for second, seven for third, on down to the clan that gets the least, only gets one, and that's quite a lot of honor points. It's the same number of honor points for, you know, like the, one of the, the Koku Drive competitions or for one of the attendance contest competitions, and I think it's great that AEG... Uh, is willing to support uh, a charitable endeavor. Yeah, support so a good like cause. This. Do we donate the money directly to the Solving Riddle, or do we have to attend the tournament to donate money? Uh, you do not have to attend the tournament. There will be a number of Solving the Riddle tournaments at various locations. You can see the list on the, the thread and the AEG forms, but you can also donate independently. Uh, you can most... Of, for logistical purposes, most of the the donations, I the, the most convenient way to do it is to contact me, and I kind of bundle them. The first year that we did it, I just had people send it directly to the charity, which seems like it's the easiest way, but then there are all sorts of problems with with logistically with whether or not the correct event ID gets identified for the charity, and if you're donating for this, you probably want to make sure that it counts for your clan. Right. And so either you need to contact me or preferably before the fact, possibly after the fact, make sure that and then I can... But it's a lot of work. If you do it after the fact, then I have to contact the charity and confirm the exact donation amount and when you donated it to have it, it count in. But you don't have to go to a tournament. If you, you can find my contact information on the thread. I can be contacted at daremir at AOL.com or l5rdragonclan at gmail.com. Uh, which is what which is used exclusively for the charity work or Chris at strangeassembly.com or you can send me a PM a private message on one of the boards although email is easier but you can send the money directly in and pick which clan it is counting for if you do go to a tournament any money that you pay as part of an as the entry fee like the sort of donation entry fee all of that gets bundled together in the winner's clan. The winner of the tournament's clan gets that. But if you, you can also independent you can also donate through a tournament but just writing a separate check and you can pick your own clan to do that. And obviously, like I said, if you send it in outside of a tournament, you get to pick the clan that the donation counts towards. Whoever but one of the advantages of donating through a tournament is that the player who wins the solving the riddle tournament that and that and that the tournament that he won was the one that brought in the most donations through the tournament. Will get a winner's choice style card. So, I mean, you're if you go to the tournament and you donate through your local tournament, you get to help the other local guy have the chance to to get a card out of this. 
which you don't get if you send in independently. But if you don't have a solving the riddle event, that still gives you a way to participate in this the, the this mega game charity competition. And one exception to that is another extra thing that we have this year is that a solving the riddle tournament does not have to be a standalone tournament. If you are running a level ten event or a winner's choice event, which normally doesn't get any sort of honor event associated with it, you can make that tournament a solving the riddle event and make it for charity and collect donations through that. But the winner of a level ten or a winner's choice event that's also a solving the riddle event doesn't get doesn't have the chance to win the card because somebody shouldn't be able to win a winner's choice event and get two cards out of it. That's that's just a little much. Uh, I think was the the decision that, that we ended up making. So, but like I said, go on the Alderac forums in the events thread. It's got a sticky thread near the top, solving the riddle 2010. Contact me. Run a local tournament. You don't have to raise a bunch of money to help out. Uh, we'd really look forward to to hearing from you. The second thing that we'd like to talk about uh, on the bonus segment here is a bonus announcement from Alderac uh, about a product called War of Honor. Uh, War of Honor is a new L5R CCG product scheduled to be released in the first quarter of 2011. It is a brand new way to play multiplayer, or one-on-one if you wish, in which the old ways of winning multiplayer are thrown out. There are military honor, dishonor, and enlightenment victory conditions but they're different than the current victory conditions. War of Honor also uses a board to determine who may ally with whom. A board which changes every game and allows the player to place themselves in a strategic position to achieve their goals. War of Honor will come with four pre-built decks and simplified rules to help new players and non-CCG players enjoy the game. However, if you wish to play War of Honor with your own tournament decks, it is compatible with that as well. Uh, in fact, War of Honor will be a new multiplayer tournament format with three different legalities. The current arc, the current arc plus the prior arc, and open where all cards are legal for use. If, when gaining 40 honor in one turn or playing all five rings in one battle are meaningless, suddenly both multiplayer and open uh, can be interesting again. Mm. I guess, what are your initial thoughts about that? Um, that announcement. I think it's it's really cool to see that multiplayer is getting uh, a tournament support format because I know that one of the things I've heard about in the past is that that they don't do like multiplayer tournaments in L five R. It's because multiplayer in L five R just because of the way it's structured is horrible. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and from a from a personal perspective, I remember like every time I opened Booster and I got a rare that was like a multiplayer rare, I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't get played much and. And as to free for all, I think with good reason. I people yeah. have tried from time to time. I don't. I, I think if you play it teams, you can make it okay. I think under the normal rules, if you just play free for all, it's yucky. And if you've um, yeah, never played it, kingmaker. if you've never actually played it, it's uh, it is a kingmaker game like JSI. I mean, if you're playing a dishonored deck or something like that you're not going to drop four or five players to negative 20. If you're playing an honor-running deck, you're going to hit 20 and every military deck on the table is going to swing at you next turn. It's kind of, you just position yourself in a not-offensive-looking position and try to sneak in for the win. Well, and also because of the way the rules work, 
if you got your buddy to the left of you, um, you would declare an attack, not send anybody. He sends all his guys to attack, and then they're all straight on defense. Yeah, I mean, I think, but War of Honor seems to, well, hopefully will address some of that. I mean, they've got different victory conditions to change up, so it'll work in a more sensible way for multiplayer. I mean, and the, the board kind of reminds me of strategic L5R, which is a multiplayer format that I think a lot of people have some affection for, but always seems to get bogged down in nonsense, like one gigantic game going on in the middle while somebody else walks around the rest of the map and just wins, even though they're not even really playing games. I hope it's good. And Um, it's an open format, too. That's interesting. And and I like the, the reference to to trying to do it with non-CCG players and being being standalone. I've always... L5, not L, AEG has released a lot of board games and little card game things over the last year. I mean, with their, there was a big rollout at, at Gen Con, and I've always thought it would make sense for them to try some... Pro, tie some products like that Bridge back that into yeah. L5R, and they're doing, they're doing one of those with the upcoming... Tomb of Uchiban expansion for the Tomb game, which which seems to make a lot of sense. You're combining two really popular intellectual properties, and so War of Honor maybe can be. I mean, it, it it sounds like it's designed to be possibly played if you don't know anything about the CCG. You can just sit down and play it with the special War of Honor rules. Right, and you don't have to invest a whole lot of money into it. That is all always what I hear from new players. Like, I don't want to start a new CCG. It's going to cost me. So sell it as a board game to people, basically. You buy some, however much, one-time set, and you've got the four decks, you just play with simplified rules, and you've got a game. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the worst part of this entire announcement is that it's not slated for release until 2011, which is just taunting and cruel. Uh, Who let us know about it? We haven't even played it yet. We're just hearing about it, so we don't even know if it's actually going to be good. I hope it's good. I really, really do. I, it's, it's hard to do a good multiplayer game in, in kind of a CCG format, but I'm hoping. Yeah, but actually, I, I mean, as far as multiplayer, I, a kind of multiplayer that I like, and, and Magic has been doing some specialty products, and, and Upper Deck did this as well before, is I would like to see an L5R raid deck, effectively, as I think that's a good multiplayer, is better with teams. Kalimaw, come on, Kalimaw has got to make for a great raid deck. It's an external threat. Make me a raid Kalimaw deck. Ryan, I will pay money for it. I think many L5R players will pay money for it. Plus, you can't be accused of ripping the idea off, because AG started that idea with Warlord, with the the Overlord challenges. But but don't do it like (laughs) Warlord, Reese, because I hate ultra-premium promo cards. That yeah, stop with the overlords. Don't make Medusa and Lords overlords. No, not even that. And don't bring... And I, I know F5R kind of did it once with that Tatori the Third that Coulson ate, thankfully. Did he, did he literally eat the card? Yes. yes, he ripped it in half and ate it. There's If you go wow. on the internet, there's video of it. It was This was at the Fate of the Five Rings Gen Con five years ago. Uh, if the winner... Won the tournament with a, I think it had to be a pure sure. deck. Not it couldn't even be tainted. This is when decks were pure or tainted or corrupt, depending on how many Shadowlands cards were in them. If you won with a pure deck, then you got this one copy in existence of Tatori Three, which would be legal for you 
for the next year. You could play with it, nobody else could, but the guy who won had a tainted deck. Didn't he have, like, the Shadow Dragon? I think he had Shadow Dragon in it. And Coulson, and so Coulson ripped it up and ate it. And I, I don't remember what you have to... It's on YouTube or whatever, but it's on the internet. You can search it up, the video of him eating the card. Wow. I have a hard enough time getting hold of some of the promo cards, so... <laughs> yeah, why... Well, that, this would be a one-of card. Yeah, I mean, this was... I, I I hated the idea of them yeah. doing that. Although, I, I really do look fondly back on that particular Gen Con because it produced one of my favorite L5 things, L5R things ever, which was the Fate of the Five Rings chart, which... Yeah, I mean, we've this, this sort of last Gen Con and this Gen Con, we're kind of going into these stories with, well, we don't really know how this is going to turn out. doesn't matter which clan wins. I mean, I think everybody agrees that it matters that Spider won last year instead of somebody else. But Instead of a clan that would care? That would, that would, that would yeah. find it sad that they had to wipe out the Horiuchi. But the, uh, the, the Fate of the Five Rings chart was, this was to determine whether or not it would be the Empire would find Enlightenment and it would be Lotus Edition, or Enlightenment would be Lost, and it would be Dark Lotus, and so you could win with a pure tainted deck and be Lotus, and have it be Lotus Edition, or you could win with a corrupt deck and have it be Dark Lotus, and if Dark Lotus happened, then whatever clan was the last non-corrupt deck to be eliminated from the tournament, which may have been the second place player, or may have been somebody else eliminated from the Seminars, would have been found to have failed the Empire and by, by not stopping the corrupt clan from, from causing Dark Lotus. But what was coolest about this was that when you showed up at Gen Con, they had a poster, and one side of the poster had on it a chart about what different things would happen if different clans earned enlightenment or caused enlightenment to be lost. And, uh... <laughs> that's the phone. <laughs> Uh, and I, I just thought it was one of the, the most interesting things because it's generated, it was able to generate so much discussion about what might have happened, what oh, yeah. results would be cool, yeah. that I, I don't think that you've had with something. This is the type of thing then. that when I first got into L5R, I heard about and thought was really cool and was one of the things I was looking for when I was playing this game. Like the, the Fate of the Five Rings and, and the, the Day of Thunder, was it? Where yeah. you had the, the, the option of the Shadowlands winning. Uh, yeah. Uh, where, where the actual outcomes of the tournaments and what players did had an effect on how the story turned out. Yeah, and that's, that only really works for in a big way for the end of arc stuff, but it does kind of work for the end of arc stuff. And they're, it, it, yeah, they're they're actually for these because you had Shadowlands instead of. I mean, the Spider Clan, the story team seems to want to work in and treat it like a normal clan, which sometimes produces these sort of weird Insanity. results. Like well, like last year's la- like, last year's Gen uh, like Con like prize, yeah. the uh, ended up a bit odd. The I mean, obviously, the race for the throne, great clan gets eliminated, got a lot of wind taken out of its sails because Spider won, and they aren't a great clan anyway. I think before the results were known, Sean actually said it would be. I, I believe it would be really boring. It would have been really boring if Spider had won. I think at the time he was under the impression that Scorpion win, Dragon get eliminated was the only result, but. And Spider ended up getting eliminated. Eh. Yeah. Uh, but you, I mean, they, they, the story prizes with Shadowlands used to be, okay, if Shadowlands wins, something really bad You've happens. all failed and something terrible uh, happens. But I guess that was also kind of balanced out by the fact that most of the time Shadowlands was terrible, so it's not like they were going to win anyway. I mean, in, 
it, it since Samurai Edition, there has been a relatively lot of game balance, so it's been more possible that anybody won. But back in the day, you could safely say, okay, there's maybe two clans that could possibly win this, and the other clans, there's not even any way they're going to top 16, so it doesn't matter if it's, like, Shadowlands winning would screw everything up, because they're never going to win. Who cares? Yeah. You know, we could put these ridiculous story prizes in. Oh, should Rattling or Shadowlands somehow manage to win, we'll do something wacky, but that's not good. Yeah, well, there actually there actually was a, a possibility in the Fate of the Five Rings for Shadowlands to earn Enlightenment. Which, remember, you had to be playing with a pure or tainted deck. So there was a special rule, like, if you were playing, if the only... And normally, playing with Shadowlands Stronghold inherently made you corrupt. So, But they made a rule that was, for this tournament only, if... You are playing, I think it was if you were playing with a Shadowlands deck and the only corrupt card in it is uh, is your Stronghold, is your then you can somehow manage to win. They actually have the thing here, but they didn't they didn't specify exactly how it was that, that, that Shadowlands could win with a non-corrupt deck. But but I think it was... Which was impossible, basically. Yeah, yeah, well, I think yeah. What, yeah, I mean, it, would, it would never happen. But they threw it out there, because why not? But, you know, oh well, that's enough about Gen Con five years ago. Let's see, uh, last episode we spent a long time talking about Plague War uh, and what effect we thought that was going to have on the uh, the environment. So I, I think I will uh, again repeat, which we didn't say that we all on the show ranked the clans in the order that we thought they would be most successful from worst first to worst. And I think it would be really interesting to get as many people as possible to basically play Fantasy L5R with that, so you will get a very minimal prize if you come and play in the Strange Assembly Fantasy L5R League, let's call it the Fantasy League. Why not? Everybody knows what fantasy games are. So if you come on the... I know we've already started a little bit, but there hasn't been you know, a huge event, so if you come on the Strange Assembly forums... Post your rankings. Be nice if you post why, but mostly post your rankings. And when the next expansion comes out, we'll look back at these predictions, see who did the best, and you'll get a little something out of it. You won't be too excited by it because <laughs> we don't make money here, but but we'll get you something. But also on that fact, like most of us put Spider and Unicorn near the bottom of our lists, and one of the events that has happened so far was the Amethyst Championships that Unicorn won. I mean, so far, were we just totally off base with the Unicorn, or is it too early to tell? I wasn't there. So <laughs> my actual ranking, Unicorn, was not at the bottom for me. Well, what was you your ranking, you know? Unicorn? Uh, I think it was like five or six. It was okay. towards the middle. Um, I actually think Unicorn's got some good decks. They just don't see a lot of play. Especially now with after, uh, after Plague War and IG3. So... Um, I think Unicorn can do well. Uh, I don't know if it will, because it's, it's kind of an unknown territory for me. I don't have a lot of local Unicorn players in my area, but it's got potential. Wow. Dude, John? Athens. Athens. Oh, Athens. Okay. That's <laughs> right. You come in from... I, I, come, I come like two hours over here to, to sit with you guys and hang out. Yeah, uh, I, and I don't see John enough. Nobody does. I had the Unicorn down, I think, like eighth or something on my list, but one of the things I said on my list was compared to a lot of past arcs, and even as recently as Samurai Edition, those 7th, 8th, and ninth place decks aren't terrible. 
I mean, I don't think that the bottom third are so much worse than the top third that they're never going to win an event or even come close to it. I think they've. I think every clan has a pretty decent deck that's pretty capable of winning. So yeah. it doesn't surprise me too much that Unicorn have won an event already. Yeah, I think that's one thing to, to clarify. You know, Kevin mentioned that not many, many, many people play Unicorn. This is not based on raw. Your your entry, if any, is not based on just raw number of tournament wins. It's nor it's going to be normalized over the number of players. Specifically, it will use my ever popular slash annoying making the cut percentage <laughs> to determine fan success. You can go back and listen to, I think, a couple episodes ago when we talked about the wrap of Kote's season right, about like why episode I think, two. I think that's more helpful than than just raw wins. But I guess I personally. I haven't changed my opinion of Unicorn yet. I'm not... Maybe if the one tournament is Gen Con or Eurochamps or something huge like a Spanish Kotec, yeah. I, I would change. But I, otherwise, I'm not going to change... I, I don't think I'd change my opinion based on one tournament. Maybe we'll get through with Gen Con and we'll... You know, if we were just totally wrong, I'll admit we were totally wrong. But until then, I guess I'll hold off on changing my... Right. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that we aren't wrong, but... Uh I mean, my ranking them low is they're going to have a low number of wins, and maybe they'll front-load them, and so this is win now, but then nothing for the rest of the season would be the same as nothing for most of the season and then wins later. I mean, uh, you, you really need more than one data point to really extrapolate well, yeah. any useful Technically information. We had two. There was a winner's choice tournament. <laughs> Dragon won it. Okay, well, we spent an entire segment talking about the role-playing game, so we're going to close out your bonus segment with... Role play. Justin, you are up first. Okay, sounds good. What have I got? Justin, today you are Daigatsu. People think you're finally going to die. What do you have to say to them? People think I'm finally going to die now. Really? Uh-huh. So, Gold Edition, you know, seven-odd years ago, I'm the big bad guy, huh? Who's still around? Yeah. Yeah, I'm still around. You've got... All these gods going out there, you know, Tagashi got punked not too long ago. I guess we've still got this god in the locker at home. You think you can kick this out of the Empire? We've got all sorts of people still wandering around the Empire. You think you got a guy under lock and key? Yeah, he's still talking to me. I've got all your information. I'm just sending little kids into, you know, your capital, just talking with the Empress, yeah. She comes begging to me for information anyway. So, good luck, keep trying. Good job, guys. You can do it this time for sure. <laughs> okay, Jay, you are up next. Awesome. Who am I? You are Shiba Tsukimi. Your card says you're a clan champion, but really, you're just the elemental master's bootlicker, aren't you? Probably. I mean, so somebody's got to do their dirty work for them. I mean, if, if you're not paying attention to the elemental masters, uh, there's five of them. They could kick anybody's butt. I'm going to do what they say. That's that's not true at all, Tsukimi. <laughs> Tamori Shaitong took them all down. down. Why don't you? Down physically, yes. Uh, they weren't paying much attention that week. Uh, she opened up the earth underneath them. They fell because only one of them can fly right at that time. Okay. I, I have to admit... Tsukimi, I was expecting a more spirited defense of your position. But, uh, oh well. Kevin, yes. you're up next. Oh my god. Kevin, you are Mike Coulson. 
You love John Freeman, but he's not in this segment. How I, does that make you feel? I think that's a crying shame. John Freeman should be in every single episode of Strange Assembly. John Freeman is the man. I go to sleep hoping to hear John Freeman's dulcet tones over this podcast <laughs> before my day is over. And I'm upset every day that does not happen. The only reason why I'm even listening to this episode is because of that interview with John Freeman. So let me emphasize, in case I have not made it clear, John Freeman is awesome. The rest of you guys, I could care less. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Okay. Justin, who am I today? We got. Okay. Who am I? Why don't I just tell you who I am today? Somebody, Somebody who can read your Reese, handwriting. Chris. Somebody who can read my handwriting. All right. I am Brian Reese today. People keep telling me that Hidden Moon Dojo sucks. What am I going to do about it? Well, my first thought was that I would go and I would play in a cote and I would crush everyone and then drop out just to laugh at them about how they, uh, they had misjudged the deck. But then I realized I had already done that with Dishonor and everyone just said that it was still terrible and couldn't possibly do anything. Even though another guy smashed everyone and almost went undefeated with another Dishonor deck. So, I'm not going to do anything about Hidden Moon Dojo. You guys are just going to have to either figure out how to play with cards that give you long-term virtual card advantage over your opponents, or not. I uh, don't care anymore. That sounds good, Brian. Why, thank you, Justin. Why did I go to, remember? (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. That's it for your bonus segment That's it for this episode of Strange Assembly. Music from today's episode is stuff that you've heard before because it turns out that it's really a pain to find good Creative Commons music. You can find it on garageband.com. You you can also find links to it on our forums at strangeassembly.com. I'm Justin Purdy. Trevor Valentine. Jay Earl. Still Jonathan Freeman. And I'm Chris Stevenson. But there is no Dana. Zoom.